welcome to episode 49 <laughs> of Songs from a Padded Envelope, you fucker. Uh, my name is Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben. Uh, hi there, Steve. The Embezzlers were a rugby-based band who, during the late 80s and early 90s, dedicated themselves completely and utterly to making and playing music. We're joined for this episode by Elliot Atkins and Ant Lee, who share stories, Ben, that detail a brotherhood and a dedication to a cause that will speak to anyone who's been in a band, especially in their youth. It does, mate. And I think, in fact, yeah, very much charms with exactly what I was thinking. I kind of, on reflection, coming out of the conversation that we had with them, it felt very much like a love letter to to what it means like to be young and in a band. You know, this kind of endless rehearsals, driving up and down the country, squeezing things into your life around around work and everything else that you have to do and not questioning it at all you know just the motivation is simply there isn't it yeah and 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 unspoken and just uh it's not even something that's discussed it's just now this is what we're doing yeah yeah yeah, I, i love that about this story in the way that they talk about it yeah, there's that whole lovely gang mentality feel that runs yeah. runs through the whole episode, doesn't it? Mm. Right up through the through the trajectory of the band, through it falling apart, and then through um, Elliot and Ant's friendship that continues to this very day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Elliot Elliot speaks of uh, a, a number of stories and memories that he, that he says that he'll carry with him always, and there's so, so many of those stories serve as examples of how precious those experiences are oh they do yeah some of the um and some hilarious moments for the yeah. listener to come to you know it's um yeah well I, I don't want to spoil it but some of the some of the gig reminiscences are particularly particularly strong aren't they um yeah and i, I think i think it had the whole conversation had those unifying themes again about friendship and music and creativity that so many of the conversations we've had with people have kind of underscored. And they, I think there's a point at which kind of Ant lays that out pretty much as the kind of, um, you know, the re- the reason for having done all these things, oh, the overriding reason, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yes, and, and it is throughout the whole episode that that just keeps coming through again, keeps coming through again. And another thing that comes through again um, has, has been touched on in, in a number of episodes in our first 49 episodes is uh, the impact of punk. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And, 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 and it comes up again. It does, yeah, uh, both in the kind of terms, terms of the sort of initial inspiration that for them, punk was the kind of um, the seed of the music that got them interested, wasn't it? And then, and then the whole kind of a little bit of t- they touched a little bit on the kind of the time and the kind of social aspect of things and the the though they weren't a political band that, that there was an inevitable kind of political slant to it um, that kind of carries for, carries through. I think. Yeah, for sure. You know, one of the things that came out and it's just just popped back into my head now as we as we're talking, but Elliot describes themselves as the poll tax kids he did, he did. and i'd forgotten all about that it's something i'd block, blocked out from my memory or i hadn't you know sort of gone gone come into my mind for a long time but that whole business of the poll tax and and like you said the, running from running from the poll tax collectors until <laughs> yes. they eventually i mean that struck that struck a real chord with me when he said that it did uh, yeah it did 
I mean, I think in many ways, Steve, this this episode is a bit, you know, kind of like a template for what we envisaged at the very infancy of the show, isn't it? You know, this is this is the kind of story that we hoped would come out. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, and 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 it's a it's a reason to uh, to sit back and in, enjoy it for sure. Um, one of the things that I enjoyed in the conversation as well was the uh, how their their work ethic came through and just how much graft they put in like oh, yeah. every day and and not just not just like on a, a, a daily but how they how they manufactured their lives to give themselves uh, to completely commit to this idea of being in a band yeah those seven years were were all the that was the focus of their lives wasn't it completely and utterly all of it dedicated to that everything else was kind of surplus i'm sure they did loads of other other shit around here but that was you know rehearsing five days a week living together building a rehearsal studio oh, yeah it was it was like you say a tremendous work ethic yeah brilliant brilliant stuff well our thanks to l and to Anne for coming on to songs from a padded envelope and speaking to us it was uh, it was brilliant to catch up with them. Um, if you're enjoying the show, please do like and give us a five-star review and tell your friends and fax your mum and uh, help us spread the word. Yeah, really do it this time, though. Don't don't just pretend. Actually get there and do it. Yeah, fax your mum. <laughs> fax your mum. And on that um, charming note, uh, let's go over to our conversation <laughs> with Elliot Atkins and Ant Lee on episode 49 of Songs from a Padded Empire. machine. I'll take my fax machine. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think you have to. <laughs> I'm Elliot. Um, we were very many long years ago, many many years ago, the embezzlers. And the song that you're going to hear is called Under the Microscope, which was one of the later later things that we recorded, actually, before, um, before it all went pear-shaped and the band split. Hello, my name's Anthony. Um... And the song you're going to hear um, is Under the Microscope, recorded many, many moons ago. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, gents. The, um, we don't often have two members of the same band um, on. At the, uh, usually it's just one person that we speak to. So I think it might be quite useful uh, just to get an idea of who you were in the band and uh, your, your role and... Um, just to, just to get us going, if that's all right. And can we start with you? Yeah, um, I suppose it's, it's, this was tough on Elle. Uh, <laughs> I was a bass player to start off with, but me and Elle kind of got together in a garage and, and decided we were going to do this. And so I started off on bass and ended up going on guitar. But then if anyone left an instrument around, I'd just get on it and try and do get something out of it. It was, that, it was just free for all at one. You're in a band playing bass, but... The next minute you play guitar, wouldn't you? It was even. I think the 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 one in a be in a band came about even. You know the old punk idea of learn three chords and form a band. We formed a band, but we hadn't learned the chords yet, had we? <laughs> that's, that's so true. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, so yeah, and we really did get together in my dad's garage, and we kind of pretended we were in a band, and so we got instruments, but we couldn't really play them, and we were about sixteen, yeah. weren't yeah. we? Yeah, actually, the first gig we played down in Cornwall, I could play D. I remember. <laughs> that's, that's a good call to start with. Yeah, we'd learned. I'd learned to play D, and we'd written a song around D. Um, 
I think Ant was always the much more mu- the he was he was the gifted musical ear of the band. I kind of, I droned away on D, and then he did interesting things with the bass. And so, it, it was but a, you it, weren't in Cornwall, right? You no, we were. That we hijacked some old yeah. fellas that were doing cover cover <laughs> covers covers in a pub and said we can so- play. We'll play, we want to play. Every time so, I see um, that Alan Partridge thing where he goes, oh, you should come down the pub. There's a band on called Will of the Wisp. And I just think it was that band. I keep thinking, is it like them? We just hijacked their set, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, yeah, it kind of grew from there, really. That Then we decided that we, um, yeah, that there should be some musical competence of sorts, I guess. And, yeah, and took bass and I had guitar and I sang. Mm. There were various um, members that kind of came and went over over the years, um, but you moved to guitar, didn't you? You you, you switched yeah. up to to guitar after a bit, and we got a, a new bass player. In. Yeah, Benny came and he was sort of the. Uh, it sounds a bit spinal tap. Benny came and it was kind of like you know when you, you know, <laughs> one of them left uh-huh. and the other one blew up or something like that. But you know, it, yeah, bizarre guarding yeah. guarding. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, Benny came in, became the lodger. Um, I moved on to guitar, but it was great then because then you could start to play. Because I learned on Elle's guitar, Elle would pop out or something, and I'd just grab his guitar and play it. Then he'd have to run back in my room and nick it back off me because I've been stealing it for half a day. We all lived in the same house in some kind of yeah, which again seems hard to believe when I reflect on it now. But we lived there was like a band house which we lived in for seven years, and so um, yeah, that. Yeah, the, the bass player kind of moved in. It was it was like the the, the band band family. Yeah. Um, well, we're de- we're definitely going to get onto that yeah, one of questions a bit are. later, Ben. Yeah, yeah so take us back a little bit, boys. Where does where does the friendship begin, and where does the kind of shared love of music come from? Where arrive from? Uh, that was a question I was really hoping because I've been thinking about this one oh, for a long. But probably this well, lockdowns put me right back in that boat to where it all started. Um, and I think me and Al met over a sandpit at middle school, uh, at junior school. Um, and then from there, kind of just, we went, punk was around. We just came outside. We were about 10 or 11 when punk was around, you know, sort of with its height. And we were in, had a joint record collection with a chap called Dave Edwards. God rest his soul, it's not around anymore. But And it was a great idea because... Punk allowed us having a record collection where each one of you kind of chipped in, got a single a week. Meant we had three singles sometimes. It was a singles yeah. box. It was one singles box. Yeah, and we'd all you had three to listen to. Yeah, Dave had more money than the rest of yeah. us, didn't he? So Dave's dad worked in Saudi Arabia, so he had a few quid. So he'd, he'd put more punk singles in than we could. But we all, you know, we all chipped in a single, and it was, um, mm. yeah, the communal singles mm. box, and that was that was the start of it all for yeah. me. Oh, God. Do you remember the first single you each put into that box? Oh, God. I can tell you what the first album was I got at that particular time. And that was another kind of blues by the UK subs. I got that. I, I loved it. Loved it to death. Still do look at the cover now and think, wow, man, I can't believe I got that. <laughs> I think it might have been um, Up the yeah. Junction might have been the first one. I, put I in think, there. yes, because you got I it from think. Boots and that's where they put the, the holes in it, didn't you? No, it was oh, Woolies yeah. where they, yeah, Woolies where they used to punch Thank holes you, and, Woolies. and, and <laughs> it's uh, worth nothing. Hang them on a rack. <laughs> it's worth nothing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> Completely removing any value, future value yeah. by destroying the cover. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
what a great song up the junction is just oh, by yeah, the by and a great piece of songwriting that is so um so how would it work with the with the communal seven inch box record box we used to loan it out to each other didn't we we thought one person we'd have we'd dance around dave edwards room for for a while when you got the singles then it would go out to one person who'd borrow the box one night and borrow the box the next you know whoever it was who had it and then that's how it worked and then you built it up and then dave it got carried away then didn't it it just was albums and then we just left it somewhere i think or well at least someone did uh but it yeah, that's a kind of how I remember it. It's like you buy whatever was in the chart, which was a lot of punk at that time. And that's where we kind of got into punk and so-called new wave that came after it, really. Everything around that period. Lucky. I love the idea of that. It's such a great way of sharing. Um, does the box still exist and who owns well, it? Well, I've no, it doesn't. Well, he died very sadly in a car crash when he was very young. Um, and that was, I guess he still had the box. And we were, I suppose we kind of, he was a bit older than us, so um, so yeah, I guess yeah, there was a bit of separation, and then he died, and that was the end of it. I've tried to recreate the box in a in a in a moment in a moment of kind of um, yeah, reminiscing about those days. I've, um, I've I've yeah, I don't know, I don't think I've got all of them, but I've got a fair few singles. I've, I've yeah, I've tried to recreate the box. Um, in a in a middle aged moment of um, nostalgia, um, <laughs> are there any uh, seven inches in particular which you kind of need to have in there that were sort of cornerstones? Yeah, did, um, banana splits by mm. the Dickies mm. um, on the yellow vinyl. Beautiful. Obviously, um, <laughs> we played that to destruction, yeah. as I recall. Um, holiday, um, too drunk to yeah. fuck. We played yeah. to, oh, to, to destruction. And it was all, it was the it was the kind of um, you know I remember yeah the, it was the 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 dangerous nature because we were twelve I remember one of my mates had new boots and panties which was full of profanity and just uh, <laughs> listening to it in our headphones while mum was in the same room it was like this is this is anarchy this is real anarchy <laughs> um, so yeah yeah the, for all sorts of reasons the, obviously the music but. Yeah, that that spirit, that attitude. I think even at twelve, that really resonated, you know, with with us. Do you remember when you started having conversations about? Oh, yeah, we've got to be in a band. I think I remember Dave having a guitar. He got a guitar case, catalog guitar, and I remember thinking, "Oh God, how much did that? It must have cost a fortune. Probably did. Only cost about fifty quid or something like you know at the time." But I remember just thinking, oh, "I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm I'm just not that grown up." To play a guitar and I was only about 11 at the time and I just couldn't say much I mean they were like pop stars and things and even punks you thought they were just at another level you you know I but then I suppose punk started to change the way you thought about it and you thought well if he can do it I can do it yeah it was a few years but we probably yeah. we were 14 or 15 before we started kind of um maybe maybe 16 i remembered making logos for all the bands before that was that was more important than the the you had to have a really good logo so i remember spe- spending hours drawing the logo and the new name so we spent days talking about what the new band name would be um and my dad bought me a i think for christmas i got this really ropey les paul copy um when that was the that was the first inroad into actually making music but um i think we spent a lot more time talking about 
yeah the um all the important stuff like what the album covers yes. would look like and... are you are you willing to share any of the early band names before you to the investment? <laughs> well, yeah well can you let me say it yeah please do. What, i think the best way to to say it is that it was a scottish chef was it a scottish chef that you worked with who who basically we record the failsafe mechanism that's one i remember and but the scottish chef it couldn't say failsafe mechanism. You said for highly safe mechanism, and so <laughs> I mean, that was it. The, the name was dead. It was dead in the water after that thing. Wasn't it? I, mean, it... We did, I think. I think we played one gig yeah. into, the, into yeah. that when we when we finally started making a racket in mm. pubs. Um, but yeah, there was that was a one gig. I, th- I think there's a there's still a flyer in yeah. the um, in the archive in the archive from from yeah. Late, late 80s, that would have been, I guess. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's a great uh, name. I think north of the border, we've got <laughs> yeah. some real success there. I, know, I think. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so the first, the first musical meeting, the first rehearsal takes place in the garage, does it? Yeah, I'm at college, and various people are kind of recruited. I think we decide that well, we've got to do this. So there's some of that we knew that could really play, or well, could play a few chords, but he felt like. Jimi Hendrix to us, I guess, at the time, because he could play chords. Um, and then we had another slightly odd friend from school who had a oh, synth. Yeah, yeah. He wanted to be a stuntman. Yeah. <laughs> well, a synth, dude. I, I, I played with them for a while. Yeah, because it was kind of in and out of that their band, wasn't it? I kind of was not inspired by him because he used to wanted to play all synths. And I got a synth. And then I thought, no, I'm not a synth. I like synth. Because Gary Newman was a yeah, John Fox, and we, we liked them nice, as well. Because it was just new. It was completely different left field. They were really interesting. Um, but he had this idea that it was going to... He was. I remember once he played in a pub in O'Malley's, called O'Malley's, and it was the rough... And I was talking about this last weekend. It was the roughest place you'd ever come across. I mean, it was full of bikers. It's in Will Carruthers' book, yeah. if you read that. It's mentioned it's, as one of the low, one of the lowest and roughest... Uh, Spit and sawdust establishments. In and we country. went in there one night, and he's in there. And I'd left the band at this point, and I was kind of more with Elle and you know, kind of practicing and doing everything with Elle. And he was in there, and I said, and I said, you know, all his kit was there, getting to play. And I said, what are you doing? And he goes, we're playing tonight. And I says, what in here? And he goes, yeah. I says, a synth band in here. He goes, yeah. Have you seen? Have you seen this band? And he goes, yeah. I says, what's your first song? He said, Rio. And I says, come on, lads. We go, go. This is gonna get. This is gonna get really nasty. <laughs> and, and I remember him kind of with his hand in the air, doing this kind of, you know. I know there's no visuals here, but he had his hand in it, and I thought he's dead. He's dead. <laughs> I'll never leave that far. He's not he's getting out of this alive. <laughs> But you know, at, at that point, I thought, no, this, no. If we were going to do anything with synths, it was going to be more creative. If it was going to do anything, I was going to be with L and whoever was coming along on that train because it was going to be more creative and more interesting than anything this guy could do. And we'd live longer. I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it is in in those those sort of formative times of like um, finding your bandmates and stuff. It is about. Uh, clicking with people isn't it when you're playing and, and having an understand and you and you really quickly because you're so mm. open to it aren't you you really quickly kind of develop and understand and and the, the people that you want to play with and those bonds those early kind of experiences form really strong bonds don't they do you remember those moments of playing together where it just made total sense that you should be playing together oh yeah, yeah. and i think i was i was thinking of this as well i suppose i've been pondering 
those early days, you know, in, in, in preparation for talking today, there was a kind of sense with, with Ant and myself. Um, and then another schoolmate, Johnny, who played keyboards, um, that this was kind of what we would do. It was, it was, there was a kind of an, an unspoken, this kind of tacit agreement that, well, this is the future. This is what we're going to do. Um, and that was completely understood without really any discussion. Yeah. Um, and I, I was, um, I'd had to turn it. I, I find, I find, um, the cliche of, you know, where we're working. I saw I was Bobby Gillespie was on a, there was a primal scream documentary and I had to turn it off because it seems such a cliche. Oh, we are working class lads and what else can you do? But the real reality was it probably annoys me because it was kind of the truth for us as well, that there was, you know, the careers teacher told us there was the armed forces or there was the factory. And so it was a no brainer really that, that you know, that this is obviously we're going to need to make music and, and this is what we'll do because that's some, this is a much more um, enjoyable and satisfying thing to be getting on with. And we did all the, the dreadful factory jobs to support it. But mm. I think, I think that's the thing that I was, you know, we never talked about, you know, we didn't ever sit down and say, is this, do you think this is a, this is a financially um, a financially um, sensible decision career wise? You know, it was it was just well, th- this is what we will all do, and we did it for for years and years yeah. without ever really giving the future. You know, the future beyond where the, the next pub would be playing. Um, hmm. You know what what that future would be. So, is there some is there something about sort of fighting back against the situation you're in then? Like fighting back through music. Yeah, I don't think I ever. Yeah, again, I don't think I ever thought of it in those terms. I, we cert, I certainly wasn't very political, as, you know, beyond kind of the empty politics of punk. I wasn't really, you know, I did. Yeah, I didn't see it as my my uh, my class against the world or anything. But it was um, it was just the only option, I guess. And then we just all without ever discussing it all. For for years and years and years, did mm. that, and I and, I, and that, and I've got kids myself now, and you know my my daughter is just taking her GCSEs, thinking about you know what's what you know what do you think love what are the best options and thinking about uni and then you know of course because I suppose those weren't ever options for us nobody had ever talked about anything beyond manual labour or being soldiers, um, yeah that 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 was those, those things weren't considered it was just we make music that's what we do yeah, but that's the same for you and yeah i mean all, all that the only, oh, the only thing i would add to that is politics and social situations came out through songs a lot especially crass and stuff like that we, we were listening to that when we were really young quite young when we were listening to that and that stuck with me that scared me to death it probably scares l to death when we think back at you know yeah, frightened, frightened me. Frightened <laughs> I like the yeah, buzzcocks. Yeah. They were good. Anyway, right, let's take the buzzcocks on just to lighten it up a little bit, you know. But I kind of listened to it and I kind of was in awe of Steve Ignorant's lyrics and how they moved. And I thought that was, and it was kind of saying, well, Joe Strummer as well, you know, some of the Clash lyrics were fantastic. Whereas the buzzcocks were like fantastic songs, punk pop, and that was great. Um, there were some bands in there that were really aggressive and, you know, I think Alternative Ulster and all those songs, they were, that was where politics came in for me. That's where I started to look around me a little bit. But 
I did. I didn't say for a while after that it was. We were victims of whatever was going around politically at the time, and whether we liked it or not, we were going to butt up against it, weren't we? Well, I suppose. Yeah, when I suppose I mean musically. Obviously, we were. You know, we were the poll tax kids that got chased, got chased by um, by the poll tax collectors until you know they eventually caught up with us. Um, so yeah, there was that loathing for the for the Tories and that 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 period. But I suppose. In the music, I don't, you know, I don't, I much, yeah, I don't, I don't think that I ever really thought politically in terms of the the songs that we were writing and the music we were making. I don't, I guess, beyond, I don't know, a, a kind of an alternative, a love of, a, of of an alternative to what was the status quo was at the time. But yeah, I suppose that's what I mean. Yeah, I, I, you know, obviously we, we were in, individually politically engaged because we couldn't, you couldn't help but be at that period, could you? Um, we've, we've talked to a lot of people about the influence of punk, and I think for many people, whether or not punk had a, had a political stance to take, many people that have been through that time, kind of those two things, the punk music and the change that it had on, upon them and the, and the politics and the social situation of the time are just meshed yeah, together, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, ab- yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We were surrounded, a, we had a blanket of people and you know, it was just we surrounded ourselves with people who were into music. Um, there was there was a friend of ours, Johnny Purcell, who still is kind of this massive record collector. Who will, who would come down the house and say, "Listen to blues, you bring down a blues explosion album, or something like that," and we'd just be listening, thinking, "That's that's brilliant." Oh, what? Or he'd pull up in a car and say, "Lads, get in. We're, we're going, going to a gig, gig tonight in Blackpool." <laughs> and one of my fondest memories is going up to see the Manic Street Preachers, and this was obviously the eighties, and they're just broken, yeah, aren't just they? broken. And on the radio, it was the Brit Awards with KLF with Extreme Noise Terror, and all you heard was "What time is love? What time is love?" And I, we're all going. I wish we were there. It was done on the M6. That sounds fantastic. And there was machine guns going off as they'd gone in the audience, and everyone had kind of hit the floor because they were you know the big gimmick thing but it was great and johnny was always pull up in a car or say i brought this down you know it's fantastic because you always had new music all the time yeah it's brilliant yeah there's lots of other bands as well it was in a mm. yeah um, yeah it was a, a, a very healthy environment mm. wasn't it we had we had lots of mates that were living a very similar life to us in a very similar part of the town um and we'd you know, play play gigs with each other and um, and socialise with each other and and yeah and, and kind of that that ever yeah. yeah that journey to to learn about a new band and a new album and a, you know all that you know to to kind of become encyclopedic in your knowledge of all music was you know that's that was an that yeah that was a massive part of that time as well I guess. Can you t- can you tell us a little bit about rugby uh, uh, and the sort of the scene you're talking about? There's there's you're surrounding yourself with other musicians and bands and stuff. But what is that scene like? I mean, we previously talked to um, Will Carruthers on the podcast, and um, your the the embezzlers are around in that scene at a uh, similar time. So just paint a little bit of a picture of that for us, if you could. Well, I, the thing that's really interesting for me about that time was that the spacemen and that the bands that that were kind of part of their their scene their movement if you like were kind of orthodoxy for us that was what every you know everybody in rugby mm. and they were older than us so for us coming up that and, and making music in the town that was what 
lots of bands did. Now, I've I've kind of as I grew up, as I got older, I kind of have learned to to appreciate what the Spacemen, you know, the music that they've made, and I, you know, they've made some fabulous music. But at the time, I think I just saw it as as the the thing that everybody's made. You know, the music that a lot of people were in. You know, there were lots of other bands that were that were emulating that and were part of that scene. Um, and it's really, again, talk, reading Will Crowther's book when he's talking about the feeling as though they were this very small and kind of marginal aspect of rugby culture. By the time we got there, they seemed to, certainly for alternative music, they were, you know, they were like, they were the mainstream almost. <laughs> so um, I suppose we were making music which we felt was different. You know, the, the music that we wanted to make was was different to that because we didn't want to do what everybody else. Well, that's certainly the way I saw it at the time. I don't know about you, Anne, but um, but but yeah, that was that was the thing that they were the big. Yeah, exactly, you know, they'd so, made it. Exactly, they'd, so. you know, when did they play Reading eighty nine? Was that was that? Yeah. So you know, I know they split just after that, but they, you know that, mm, that we were making music at that point, and they were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um. So yeah. So some of the bands we played with kind of crossed over and they, you know, they were involved with space men or well gig, I suppose gigs where they were making music that perhaps connected with the, the spacemen's um, psychedelic acidy kind of you know, blues. Um, but we always try, I, th- I always felt we wanted to, I wanted to do something that was different to that because, because that's what, yeah, as I say, that was the that was the norm, if you like, or that's the way it seemed to me as a sixteen, seventeen year old, eighteen year old. That's a really interesting take on the situation. I mean, would you say that the that having Spaceman Three in the town had a positive impact overall for um, for music in the city? I think so. Yeah, I agree. I think yeah, I I was probably a bit jealous as well at the time. Um, and there was a real animosity. I think, yeah, I think that was a lot of the, the town. I remember going to a, my mum's a folky, and I remember going to a folk night at a pub, and the and there was just all this kind of vitriolic um, humour in inverted commas aimed at the spaceman. You know, oh, these morons with their two chords, and you know, coming from the folk musicians in the town. You know, and I, that that I suppose that struck me that um, you know there were. You know they were up against a lot of a lot of animosity, but I suppose in terms of musicians, that in terms of what we thought we were, which was kind of making alternative music, they were they were the daddies. <laughs> so so they you know they they did have this kind of position um, and this influence, which we didn't you know we we didn't want to be doing what everybody else is doing. I guess I guess that's but yeah, and the, so to learn to love them later was kind of interesting to <laughs> to say actually. <laughs> This is really good uh, in a way that perhaps I couldn't acknowledge yeah. at the time because, uh, yeah, because for the reasons I've just I've, I've explained. Yeah. So, so then going and reading the book, subsequent, you know, Will's book recently, how was that for you? And 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 thinking back through the sort of the lens of his writing and his. Well, I'm shocked at the. I, I suppose, I, I, you know, maybe it's naive and idealistic of me, but you know, we were always. All for one and one for all, as as a band, and you know, we, you know, but, uh, but that idea of screwing screwing over the band for money that was so disappointing, <laughs> you know, the idea that they that's the detail about them 
Will finding out that they were that Jason Pierce and Kate are going to buy a house with cash, and you think, oh no, yeah. <laughs> no, that can't be true. So, um, yeah, that, yeah, yeah that that's that's the reality of business, yeah. I guess, isn't it? So that that was that was sad. Um, the 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 kind of debauchery was familiar to me. I think you know the, the you know that the, there's a lot of a lot of that you know we lived. I, our little band house was kind of five. How many doors from Jason Pierce's? It was just up the road, a few houses up the road. Eight, eight or nine. And you could see all his records. There was a kind of a glass window, and that was all the vinyl. It was it's a really lovely memory. Wandered past Jason's, there's his records. Um, but yeah, there were there, you know, these lots of terrace houses where all the musicians lived. Um, and yeah, there was there was some pretty squalid, squalid living going was going on during that time. So when you know that when Will was talking about some of the um, less salubrious places he was hanging out, that that really um, that took took me back to a, a place and a time. Uh, but your your paths crossed, Will yours and Will. Yeah, and I Andrew, worked. Yeah? I worked with Will's sister, um, um, and I, you know I didn't know him particularly well, but we, he was always about. He would be would be at the same parties and. I remember famously someone getting a head on, bottle on the head. Do you remember that party? Hunt? Someone, someone was flick. Someone was. Is that? Is that right? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah, that is right. Yeah, yeah. I remember a house. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, a house party where yeah, there that was. Is, some, that's that's absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah, that all those yeah. all those people were there. So um, we we crossed paths. Just everyone. Um, but we yeah we weren't. Um, yeah, we were as as a, for the, in the way that I've already outlined. We were younger than them, and we were you know. As far as we were concerned, we were doing our thing, I suppose. And, and yeah, they were they were doing theirs. But I thought that was, I thought that was a good thing in a way because that was like competition, in a way that kind of gave you a bar to try and reach and get over and get on to do something better. Um, and there was lots of bands around who we played with at that time. And I think it's like inspiration, you know, inspiration came from everyone from Bowie through to Crass through to you know. Costello and everyone like that but some of the best inspiration was some of the people that you played with and supported with and learned with and like you know learning you know seeing Elsing think oh all right I've got to give it a go I've got to give this a go you know we've learned together I could do it and then you'd open your mouth and think no I need to practice more you know I need to do a bit more practicing but you know people that you're around with and supported with and played in bands with they all became a bit more important Especially because they, you felt like you were a gang then moving together through pop history in some shape or form. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the the demo that um, you'll play later on was recorded in a studio. There's an eight track studio um, run by one of the other bands. It was so it was that was one of the ways that they made a few extra quid. Um, and the the kind of wonderful sense of community there. When you you know somebody would be recording, and it'd be all the you know all the bands would be all various members of the bands and um, Chris Watts who was the guitarist in a in a band we played with quite a lot. Well, actually, before he joined, really wasn't it? We played, but we played with them. But anyway, he he and another really very talented um, guy, Steve Parfit, another kind of casualty of life. He died much too young. he, yeah, they, they were there. So you, the, the the my memories of the, perhaps one of the reasons I'm so fond of that track is that 
the recording of it uh, and the place where it was recorded and the community of people that were part of that scene is it's just, just really special. It's a really special memory and a special time, I think. Had you done much recording before that? Yeah, we had. Yeah. Um, we'd done more professional stuff, actually. We'd, we'd been... Yeah. The first demo we recorded was was in the VHF studio, mm. which, is, again, is discussed a lot in the yeah. book. Um, Paul Atkins, who he talks about, um, we did a demo there. And then we did a demo in, what was the name of the studio in Birmingham? Man? Is it Sinewave? Yeah, Sinewave, because Alma Kirchhoff, it, it was the engineer for that. He'd done, he'd been, done a bit of motorhead on the road with people. He knew stories about Ozzy Osbourne and all that sort of stuff. And he'd tell us all these things in between mixes. And <laughs> I remember just thinking, wow, God, we're only down the road and all these people that this guy's worked with have been around. But he was just kind of like this kind of small blank head engineer who just kind of put the faders up and did this and got it right. And it was ace. It was a great experience, but the DIY, I think me and Elle always liked DIY. <laughs> yeah. The D yeah. The, 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 the studio where that, where under the microscope was, was proper back to basics and it was great. Can you take us, take us back to that first experience of going into VHF? How did that feel going in and, and recording your music for the first time? Oh, it's amazing. I still, I, the magic of that still stays with me all the, you know, however many, 30 odd years later. Um, it was, yeah, it was the complete and utter seclusion because the Heysel Stadium disaster happened when we were in there. Um, that puts a date on it. And I, and we met, you know, we were just, you know, locked away for three days with, with little bits of sleep, but not very much. Um, so we had so much money. We were going to do three days in the studio, and we just lived there. Yeah. Um, and so did Paul Atkins, to his credit. You know, as a family man, he certainly put the hours in, didn't he? Bless him. But I remember him. But anyway, we were. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm misremembering. But we we were there for. There was very little daylight that we saw in those three days, and then we came out after having this app. You know, as as wannabe rock stars, to go in a real studio and make and, and record. And come out with something that we we liked, um, but then to come out into the world and there'd been this terrible disaster which we'd kind of missed, and that that stays with me as well. This the just the, you know, we'd been in this little magic bubble, and then when that came back out into the world, and there was you know, yeah, this this awful thing had happened. In, and... Just just going in, going in and work uh, working solidly for for three days and just immersing yourselves for that amount of time. I mean, I I've, I've memories of doing that. I've memories of doing that with with Ben and. And it is just such a privilege and a joy to be able to immerse yourself in something like that. But going and doing those three, does that speak to sort of the work ethic of the band? Because you said you lived together and you were... We worked every... We we, we built a rehearsal studio um, above a room um, in, another, in another key location from um, playing the bass with, with three left hands, which was the Imp Pub, which I think burnt down tragically but that was this that was a uh, an amazing venue again in kind of lost in the terraced houses of rugby down in the down near the cattle market kind of the rougher end of the town it's this amazing boozer and we rented a room above a, a, a site a building that was kind of separate but attached to the pub and we soundproofed again the work we must have put in we soundproofed the whole building and we we went there like after we'd worked those of us that worked, <laughs> some of us worked, some of us didn't. You know, 
that was the you can imagine. I, I wasn't so keen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll admit that. <laughs> I wasn't thinking of you, Ed. I was thinking more of our old drummer. No, but you were. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we we we'd go, we'd work, we'd work, or we'd do whatever we've been doing. Probably on a, an industrial, some grim industrial estate, and you'd get home and we'd eat, and then we'd go and rehearse every night for certainly Monday to Friday. And then you'd be writing stuff in your room when you'd do something, you know, you'd want to, you know, you'd just always be doing something towards the music. Music was the thing. And I know, you know, 70, 76 jobs, I think. <laughs> I was counting, I lost count of that. And, you know, one of them, as you know, it's, it's the adult joke. We've said this so many times, but it's, you know, when nobody's heard it before, it sounds, it was awful at the time. When you look back at it, it's hysterical. I was in there, but I was in one job for 20 minutes. <laughs> and just because I thought I'd hurt my hand and done something to it, I thought, this is my livelihood. This is what I care about. <laughs> On your bike, I'm gone. You know, and that's, and that used to really be a big part of me. That's it. If I hurt anything that was part of what, you know, fingers, hands, legs, I mean, I couldn't do it. I was gone. That was it. And it wasn't good. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the best thing at the time. But at the time, you know, you sold yourself to rock and roll. That's a terrible thing. Yeah. It was. They're conflicting you know, work ethics, aren't they? <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> How did that translate into the ambitions that you had uh, as the ba- as a band then? Well that, that, well, that was the kind of paradox that in term, as far as the, the, the music was concerned, we were unbelievably disciplined. Um, we had we had this really infuriating things that people that didn't like us said would say, "Ah, oh, I don't like the music, but they're so tight. <laughs> they're, they're so tight. They're really, they're really, really tight." Um, and we practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. Yeah, and so, um, so yeah, no, we were we were in, incredibly hardworking in terms of the music. I don't think I've ever. I think, yeah, as I as I moved to. <laughs> towards retirement and the lazy life i sometimes think back to you know just just how grueling you know some of that you know that period was and, and gigging as well when you'd there'd be a gig and you you know would be well we're not rehearsing tonight we're shifting getting everything in the transit and driving to wherever and and lugging it all back and you know, in the early hours of the morning and then work and then rehearse and you know we 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 did that for we lived in the house for seven years didn't we yeah. So until I was in my mid, so from my late teens to my mid twenties, that's what we did, without really without much of a break. I don't think. Yeah, I think we did it. We just went for it. We went for it every minute we could, really, just to play music and be around it in one shape or form. It and it, you know, it's worth it. <laughs> it was worth it. Oh yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change anything. It sounds like a. It sounds like a perfect setup. You've got your own rehearsal space. You've got a van. You live together. You're all like-minded. You're 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 a tight live band. You're getting more and more experience going into studios and 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 make making music. Um, what are the what were you doing in terms of taking all of that that kind of perfect framework, if you like, to you know get into the industry and to try and you know, go from that into the sort of more of the, a professional, making it a job. And well, we had we had a couple of um, managers. Um, our old friend Chad managed us initially, um, and we made a demo with him, and he 
um, he touted that around. I think the and then um, Johnny P that you you that made reference to um, another lovely man. Um, he kind of then took us under his wing when we were in Birmingham, when we did this, the demo in, in Birmingham and put together a kind of press pack. Um, and Fire Records um, were kind of vaguely interested for a bit. <laughs> and that was, so that was, you know, that, so that, that was going on in the background. Tell us, tell us a bit more about that. Well, we, we, yeah, it was, it was the, you know, the depressing, well, the A&R man doesn't like it, but who, the, I don't know, some other figure, some other, but it's kind of course, because it was, was it fire or glass? I thought it was, it was chrysalis. I thought at once they were, they were, I remember someone saying that chrysalis had shown some interest and I said, well, what's interest? I mean, someone looked at the cover or something like that. Like I said, you know, you just got all these rumors. No, it was, no, it was, it was, it was spaceman linked because I think that was the, the foot in the door really. Yeah. I, you know, do you remember those big glossy packs that were made with, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I'm sure. I can't remember if it was glass or fire, but be, I think because oh, it's a rugby band, um, and they they were there was umming and ahhing, but yeah, it didn't come to anything. So we yeah we would we were doing that side of things. I, I again, you looking at the, the the way the world's changed with the internet, um, it makes me laugh thinking about our Letraset posters and. <laughs> And you know, in the age of YouTube and and um, you know and streaming and all those and all the ways that you can get your music out there now, we we had the cassette in a padded envelope. Those moments, though, when you get a sniff that someone might be interested, whether that's a rumor from you know from someone else, it it's impossible not to get excited. Oh yeah, absolutely, mm. absolutely. And yeah, I think you absolutely. live. There's a kind of fantasy, you know, reality and fantasy kind of. Blur, blur in that you know that you're, you're permanently and so's everybody else you know all the other bands Ooh. oh yeah i think there'll be a single probably by christmas all oh, right yeah yeah I'm pretty, yeah pretty sure pretty sure it's and that yeah. and everybody lives in that in that wonderful kind of fantastical you know that it's that idea that the promise of the future you know is always there There's, it's always dangling just out of reach but it'll happen and it'll happen for everybody and and um, and yeah, so any sniff, you're quite right, Ben. It's just like, you know, completely intoxicating and, and glorious. And everybody feeds off it as well. Oh, have you heard about Steve? Yeah, I reckon. Yeah. They've got, mm. you know, so we had right. one of our friends' bands was being produced by um, Joe Foster, who was a, a, a wheel in creation and he'd, he'd produced Jesus and Mary Chain. And so there was a period where it was, oh, the boys are sort, you know, this is it. Joe Foster's on board. Brilliant. Um, and we saw some astonishing people. You know, we, there are other people in our circle. There's a Birmingham, there is a Birmingham songwriter, a guy called uh, Mickey Greeny. He's just the most ridiculously talented human Amazing. being you'll ever encounter. Um, a good friend. Isn't yeah, it? really lovely, another really lovely guy. But um, I think perhaps after so many years of seeing, you know, you live in that fantasy, that glorious fantasy for for so long and then, you realise that when if people like Mickey Greenick, who is, as I say, is astonishingly talented, aren't, you know, he's had talent of sorts, but he, sh you know, you feel that, you know, he should he should be, in, well, massively, massively more successful than he was mm. just because of his talent. But um, 
and yeah you, you, all of these things slowly add up and i wonder whether you know by mm. by the by the time we got to 25 there's the the, the fantasy's a bit thin or, or you know the or the the, the the dream is has, has become a bit threadbare perhaps and well, it gets tougher to go back to the well, doesn't it? If you if there's because in amongst all of that, there is rejection and disappointment, and you know having to be self motivated and okay, okay, we go again, we go again. Yeah. Or, or what what about it? So there's you know going back to the well and getting remotivated does get harder. Because we rebuilt from the ground up, really. We lost, we kind of reformed um, a drummer that had been with us for a long time, um, split from the band, and we got a new drummer. And, there, and who actually, who, it's that last um, version of the band that recorded the, the song um, that you're playing later. Um, and I remember we worked, we did kind of build it from the ground up, didn't we? And, and then mm. there were some gigs and they just, I don't know, we, I think we all just didn't, I don't know, just didn't feel like it, it had happened. You know, we'd done all this work again and it didn't quite feel right. And then it, and it just kind of unraveled. I think was there a gig in Coventry? I remember we played in Wales, and then we played in Cov. And it there was just a gig, and we said, and I don't know, there was. I think Ant said, "I'm off." Um, you know, you. Did, I you... meant I was going to the shop. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah, sorry, not, back I probably wasn't the best of it. I'm not suggesting Ant. <laughs> I'm not suggesting Ant um, pulled the plug, but I mean, I think that was a. That was a, a consequence, you know. That was a, a you know, that, that the feeling was yeah. pretty, pretty universal. I think everybody thought this has come to, we've, we've reached the end of the road here. Um, um, yeah, and yeah, sorry, that yeah, so that that idea of rebuilding, that that, that absolutely, that, that what you just mentioned, Steve, that the the end of the band was um, another rebuilding that that perhaps didn't take off in the way you'd we hoped it would, and and maybe there wasn't any more energy and. To, to, to start again, um, perhaps I don't know. What do you reckon, Ant? Is that fair? I think yeah, I think it's very fair. I think I felt like it was, you know, steam. It was running out of steam. It was running out of like each one of us had a an individual approach. We're starting to whereas we were a group, we suddenly started to become individuals. And I felt like you know I wanted to do something. L wanted to do something. You wanted to kind of start structuring your own thing because. You'd be working together on and on and on and on and on, and you just wanted to kind of do a little bit for yourself. I felt that's where it was going, um, and it's almost like it didn't break up; it just kind of moved away, <laughs> like it, it stretched apart. And it's a strange thing. It didn't feel like we we kind of split it. I'm not trying to get the band back together here, by the way. I'm just saying this is how it. Oh, go on, <laughs> go on, get back. Yeah, go I'll on. get the van. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of moved apart. And I tried to forget music after it because I just thought, okay, I'm never going to have it as good as with the people I played with. And it wasn't ever about being famous or anything like that or doing, getting, you know, being loaded or anything like that. It was about mates and really having a good time and doing music and being creative. Being creative. I suppose then I started to, yeah. I think that's why I went into being more creative arts and doing all that sort of stuff. And, and I think, that's where I started to realise we perhaps could do other things as well. So I tried to forget it for about six months and said, no, I'm not going nowhere near it again. I didn't, no way can you do that. <laughs> oh, but I, yeah, I, I was the same. I died inside, I think, for quite a while after I went to, mm. I left. We both left, actually, rugby. 
quite soon after that and kind of started new lives and it was um and i really struggled with music you know music it was painful really to to have anything you know because because we'd thrown everything at it for so long um i came to liverpool and discovered god it was guitars were my thing um and i came to liverpool and discovered rave and electronica with you know with a new crowd of people and it was it, this new genre of music was really kind of purifying because it was it was a disconnection from from the past and then then obviously you heal and you know and um and i've got my guitar out of the attic and then <laughs> um you know and then kind of reclaimed that and you know still make music now and that's a wonderful part of my life but um but i, I agree with Anne that that period after the split was was a kind of death it was awful when when you look back on um, on the embezzlers what are your fondest memories of of is there something a specific memory yeah. that sticks out for both of you playing a gig in bristol it was just absolutely blistering oh yeah. tell us tell us we played a gig to a it was it must have been freshers week it's a big hall i don't know who put i can't remember who put it on but it was just the perfect gig the audience went ballistic and it was like i remember everything was it's just when everything's perfect everything's you couldn't do anything wrong the guitar's playing itself the music's sublime the guy on the desk good as well he got the sound yeah the sound was incredible i can hear myself yeah yeah, i can hear the monitors worked (laughs) (laughs) yeah but yeah i mean there's yeah pretty with that we did a few kind of, like we did a festival. It was only a kind of a little thing. It was like called the Dunchurch Festival, and it was basically just outside rugby. And it was a bunch of bands coming, a massive marquee. And Mickey and the band called the Girls that he was playing with at the time came over. And I think Fuzz Townsend was playing drums, and you know, and there was just a bunch of everyone was together. And I just thought, this is great. Everybody's learning about something, and everybody's playing together. And I thought it's wicked. So it's ace. It was only Dunchurch, but it was great. Yeah, that was it. And we played some really, there are lots of very funny memories from really wretchedly rough pubs that we play. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, where the, um, where the, one, there was a landlord that, um, it was, unbe- yeah, it was, it was I, could, I could talk for two or three days about this gig, but the, the, the funniest thing was that um, when we left, the, the, the PA blew up. Um, the audience started chanting for um, Paranoid by Black Sabbath, which we couldn't play. So the, <laughs> the, the, the drummer started to dismantle his drum kit in such a way that we all had weapons. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. and, I, and I went to tell the landlord that we couldn't do the gig and he didn't have to pay us. And he had someone in a headlock and he was punching his <laughs> guy. <laughs> and he said, all right, lads, all right, lads. Yeah, no problem. And he continued to pun- pummel this guy. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And, and we made our exit. So, so yeah, there, there's yeah, there's a, there's a fair few of those tales which, which I often think about, or Ant and I remember, and and it makes us giggle. Mm. Johnny Dean mentioned Fagin's. There's the pub that's referring to um, this weekend. He says, "Oh, I went past it in Northampton." I said, "It's still there." And he goes, "Yeah." I says, "What? Well, you didn't go in?" He goes, "No." <laughs> it's still there. So. And it was like, yeah, there's, there's, there's loads of instances where that was, you know, there's loads of incidents. But I think also under the mic, it's like, you know, under the microscope, it's going to be played in a bit. That song was a moment. 
because you know that riff that's in there's a riff that's in it and that hit struck home yeah and that just rolled and that made me think about songs you know when you get one it's out there somewhere and it lands on you and the riff then it just rolls it's like a roller coaster it goes on its own almost and then other ones you could work for three years of them is a piece of crap (laughs) they don't they don't sound any good or anything but there's just ones and that made me really think that it's just waiting for the right one to come in and grabbing hold of it. That was a great thing to learn creatively. So I remember that one. It's good. And the lyrics are great, by the way. Al. <laughs> it's a great performance. Yeah. It's, it's got such an energy to it. The, the, the tune It reminded me a little bit of the sort of, the, of that petrol emotion and some of their kind of poppier yeah. guitar. Yeah, like it's we, got, a, it's we, got that sort of energy to it. I'll take that. So we like them. I love that. Yeah, I yeah, love, that. love that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Great band. Undertones, offshoot, you can't go wrong. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But were, were you up and up and down the motorways of the UK with the band? Uh, we we paired it. Well, yeah, we. Birmingham, I suppose the Midlands predominantly. Um, yeah. We got down to Bristol. I think that was as far south as we went. Although, ignoring the the um, the early um, Cornwall <laughs> songing yeah. when we when we were much younger. Um, did we? Where did we get? I thought we did one in London. I thought we did one in London, but yeah. I can't remember exactly where it was. Yeah, was maybe. there a draw to go and play in London? Because that was that's that was one of the th- certainly for me growing up in Lowestoft, so getting a gig in London was everything. Mm. Oh, yeah, it was. It was. I just think we would go to get a gig anywhere. Really, it was just good. You know, yeah, we, it, it was that time period when you kind of you you, you didn't you look if you got paid it. You know, just playing it was, you know, was an yeah. opportunity. I yeah, I don't think we made much, very, very much money from the gigging. No, no, <laughs> no. no. no I Did no, you ever? Fall, did you fall foul of the pay-to-play scams that? that no, happened no, we while? didn't. We 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 either got paid or we did it for the love of it, I guess. But yeah. no, we didn't ever have to. I don't think we ever did. We ever did that. Yeah, um, well, it dodged. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it was, yeah, like Ant said, you know, they, they were a, a real, a real mixture of, um, a real, yeah, mixture of experiences. You know, there, there would be the pub with the man and his dog, and then there would be the, you know, the full house and everything in between. And I suppose, and we kind of soaked it up. You know, I don't ever really. You know, the, the playing was the important bit. I don't think we ever dissected it afterwards and felt that it was in any way, you know, our, our progress to stardom is undermined by the by the small audience. It was just played another gig, you know, we made a racket. Those those friendships, your friendship and the friendships you made with the band and people that people you were playing with and that, have they carried through your life? Yeah. I would say so, yeah, yeah. There's some that I don't see that I would like to say say just for now and then um but you know some people do just drift off and you lose but most of them john purcell uh johnny dean Johnny's saw last week both of those two they're good friends look at that go back and see him every other month or two two months benny the bass there. player vanished if you're listening benny make contact yeah, you're out there yeah, yeah. He's never, he was, you still owe me a fiver he was never seen again and i'm not joking <laughs> oh really wow yeah i don't know what happened to him 
yeah, that was a actually it was that Fagin's gig. He was so desperate to get out of that pub so quickly, he put his bass on the top of his car and drove down the road with it. He was that in a hurry to get out because he really feared for his life. Because that's how bad it was. Yeah. But so yeah, generally speaking, um, yeah, give or take a few that we've lost along the way. Um, yeah, El, you mentioned that you, you're you're um, still making music now, and I know and I know you are. Um, uh, <laughs> and before before we before we get into a little bit of that, and t- tell us a little bit about the your music making. I can see your bass guitar behind you. What role does music um, play for you now? It's well after kind of the band finished. Went into went back to college and did a HND and then ended up teaching later. And but music now is just being completely creative. Me and L kind of swap <laughs> swap notes on music all the time. So it's I've done music for kind of just uh, you know for kind of what they call the stock stuff that you can get online. I do a bit of that. Um, and I do it for pleasure and love it. I do anything from anything that takes my fancy. You know, so if it's a guitar, it's a bass. If it's a synth, it's a synth. And it's lovely to have that freedom. And I suppose really, nowadays, you've got that freedom to record, put it out if you like. Elsa, you can put it out if you want to. If you really want to, you can yeah, do and, something. And good. release. You did some crass remixes, didn't you, which were released. Kind of, yeah. You know, when crass wow. released all of the um, the, the, the 24 tracks from the original recordings of um, Feeding the 5000 and and did some great remixes mm-hmm. of some of those. Um, which, again, they were released, weren't they, by a, a, a kind of online punk mm-hmm. label, I think. It was one little idea that was, yeah. How, how, did that, how did that come about, And Tell us a bit more about that. <laughs> well, Chad, um, Chad is a good friend and manager from the past. He's just Mr. Punk, shall we say, in, in a really uh, organised way, shall we say. He's he'd keep in touch with me and you'd get, you often get a little you'd get a message saying punk's not dead so he's like, all right he's, he's out there still and he's you know he's doing okay and you'd have a little exchange and then suddenly he just said uh this link takes you to feeding the five thousand stems which are basically the four track and eight track recordings in the original and then if you go on there you can remix them and they're going to put out the best ones or put out a selection of them and at the time it was just i think um lockdown had just happened i just finished at a college real kind of suffering from nervous exhaustion we're done with teaching in that format and i needed a break from it and that was a wonderful thing to get me back into learning logic again and using all that god i loved it it's it's been fantastic and then working with those and what you can do with the, the software and the hardware and everything that really got me back into it all again um, and me and El would just swap. He says, "How do you do this in Logic? How do you do that?" You know, so, have you seen this reverb? No. But before you'd have to kind of rig up all these wires or nick something from somewhere to put it together back in the back in the late eighties and stuff. But you know, now it's doing those stems really gave me an opportunity to kind of get you know start to look at the past and try and see how you can apl- uh, apply that to the future technology if you like. It's great, fantastic. And and L, tell us about your music making now, because you are an electronic musician. Yeah, well, working a lot with drone. And... A, a good friend of mine gave me the opportunity to make um, the music for a film, um, and that was incredibly. Um, I suppose, like Ant, I've been pottering around, and it's it's become my um, my kind of um, 
escape really from i'm a teacher i'm an english teacher in a secondary school so life life is quite um work is quite manic um and music for years really has been my my escape my little kind of um, oasis but when my good friend asked me to make music for a film i um i didn't think i could do it really um i was always unsure whether i could do it and then having done it um it's kind of completely blown open my creative horizons, my, my, you know, my, I suppose my own view of myself as a musician. I wouldn't really consider myself a musician. I also, Ant was a musician in the band. Uh, he's the one with the, 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 the wonderful ear. He could always play anything. If you want, he had a song. If there's a song, Ant will play it. Um, whereas I've never been, I was, could never do that. So I, um, I've been teaching myself music theory and, 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 finding any any way uh, any ways at all to, to make music and having having made the music for the film as i say i've done some other music other people have asked me to make bits and bobs of music and um oh it's just the most glorious thing um yeah i yeah, I, I fully intend I'm, i'd like to retire in a few years and spend and spend the rest of my days um making tunes um you know in any in any spare moment that i can um, i can weasel i will um, i'll be making music and as i say asking out about reverbs and um and how he plays that riff and you know, and, you know and, um, which you know keyboard we're going to buy uh, yeah. <laughs> i thoroughly it yeah. thoroughly suits you El. your music is wonderful and i i really like uh you've done the the theme music for um a fantastic podcast john bleasdale's writers on film podcast and you, you yours is the theme music for that and i think that's a it's such a well judged piece of music for that show. Yeah, um, thank you. I, he rang me and asked me whether you know what could I you know how, how what could he do? He needed to get some music. What did I think? And so again, having done the film, I thought oh, I'll have a go at that. And um, so so yeah, that's again a lovely confidence builder to um, um, yeah to 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 um, egg me on to make more stuff, I guess, and you know to. to I suppose it's like a bit of confidence in in you in in yourself, which um, as a, being coming from that punk rock ethos, um, it's amazing how little we knew, really, or how little I knew. <laughs> when I think back to what I knew about music, you could write it on the back of a stamp. Um, you know, we we knew a few chords. Um, well, I did. Um, so yeah, it's been nice to kind of to to to, to learn about that, to 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 explore that. That incredibly interesting world um, as an older fella. Um, All right. Well, Ant and Elle, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been really brilliant to hear you talk about your band. And, um, could we just finish off, please, with uh, you introducing the song that people are going to hear now? Um, this is Under the Microscope, uh, recorded at Mondo World HQ in Rugby. Uh, on a uh, hot and sweaty night. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, stripped to the waist, um, <laughs> having consumed quite a lot of beer, I suspect. Yeah, one of those one of those nights when everything came together. So, um, yeah, under the microscope. Thanks, Ant. Thanks, Al. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. We're so grateful for having us on. This has been lovely. It's been nice yeah. to to reminisce, and um, yeah, thanks for that. Thank Appreciate you it. very much.
Songs from a Padded Envelope is presented, produced and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state-sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Canning. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Hive production. (laughs) 